it's all those kinds of things that actually, um, you know, the in business, I guess it was called, you know, hundred years ago had the same issues. And so that is, you know, the, if you look at the hospitality innovators like um, Hilton and Marriott, what they did was to industrialize and maybe sometimes industrialize too much uh, uh, the, the, the experience. And so that's, why I think there's there's still going to be a room for this. Uh, people want trusted brands. People don't always want to connect with a host. Uh, you know, ask any introvert, and that's their nightmare. <laughs> Having to make small talk with somebody. Um, and so yes, yeah, so I think the market will professionalize, and there will still be a room for all these amazing individual hosts and properties. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. What's up, friends? So over the last few weeks, you've heard me talk a lot about Onores. Onores is the property management software most loved by professional vacation rental managers. So if you're in the market for a better platform or new software to help you grow your business, give Onores a look. Even if you're not in the market, it's always helpful to stay up to date and abreast of what these platforms have, what new offerings they might be uh, spinning up, right? What new features they have. It's always good. These tools change so quickly and you might be missing out on a feature or or tool that you desperately need to help get your business to the next level. And perhaps Onores has that feature or, or that tool. So go ahead and give them a look. And if you do talk to a team member there, just mention behind the stays. And that way, if you do want to buy something from them at some point, if you want to sign up for Onores, you'll get a special exclusive discount only available to behind the stays listeners. So just mention behind the stays, you'll get 30% off the first three months and let them know that Zach sent you their way. In about 15 minutes from now, you'll hear an exclusive chat that I I had with Tyann. Tyann Marsink is an industry leader. You guys have probably seen her on social. She's just incredible. She puts out really, really good content. She's a huge fan of Onores. So don't take my word for it. Take uh, her word for it, who she's been a customer with them for years. So head on over to ownerreservations.com and give Onores a good look. All right, guys, take care. Enjoy this episode. In just a moment, you'll meet Sebastian Long, founder of Lodger a furnished living on-demand product that gives traveling professionals and digital nomads the service and consistency of a hotel with the spaciousness and function of a stylish home. While Sebastian has spent the better part of his professional career working big corporate jobs, he actually grew up immersed in hospitality entrepreneurship. His parents owned and operated a vacation resort on the island of Corsica, just off the coast of France. After traveling around the world working and banking for HSBC, in 2017, Sebastian was recruited to help launch Sonder in the UK. He got a front row seat to the big opportunities and the big challenges of launching and scaling a consumer-facing property management brand. Tune in to hear the exciting story of the series of events that led him to write his master's thesis on hospitality interior design at Cambridge, leave the UK and move to Houston, Texas, and how he has built and scaled Lodger. All right. Without further ado, get ready to meet Sebastian. All right, Sebastian, we we are live, man. How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm well. Happy to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I we just connected actually, which was which was pretty cool. You listen, you recently found I think behind the stays and then reached out and it's 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 been cool it, when when your podcast finally starts to grow i feel like podcast growth is like nothing 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 and then some you know all of a sudden there's like this like big spike but it, it's funny it, over the last you know a couple months i think we've finally hit this this spike and so i get a lot of inbound now and i always have to kind of sort through this this inbound um of everyone wants to come and pitch their product on a podcast right Anyways, I normally just kind of go delete, 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 but uh, your email <laughs> caught my eye and I read a little bit about your story. Then I Googled you and I was like, this guy is really, really cool. So uh, I invited you to come on the pod pretty pretty quickly. Um, and I am just ecstatic to, to hear a little bit more about you and your story. Awesome. Well, yeah, glad, glad to be here. Uh, 
I thought you had some really cool episodes with some great people on it. So yeah, uh, pretty stoked to, to be, you know, amongst your uh, invitees. <laughs> well, I am super, super honored for you to take the time to chat. I, I actually want to start, normally I kind of start with folks telling me a little bit about their founding story, and I absolutely want to get to that. But I actually want to kick off our conversation with what it was like launching Sonder in in the UK because a lot of our listeners will be familiar with Sonder. Um, they're you know one of the the if there is a household name in like the the property management crew, uh, Sonder is a little bit more recognizable at least to your average traveler. Um, mm. And so I, I want to hear a little bit about what it was like bringing this this brand to to the UK. What I know that you worked in I think a, a fairly short in a fairly short uh capacity to to help get them launched but what was that experience like yeah i mean it was really really exciting um i'd been looking for a role just just like this i, I saw a linkedin post uh that's from a recruiter saying looking for people with a mix of hospitality and an mba and and sort of applied and you know back then it was in 2017 um so they were far less well known they they'd raised a series b round um of venture capital and i think there was something like maybe two dozen markets back then okay. um and they were just getting started with europe they just recruited a, a general manager for 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 rome so for italy and then i got sort of recruited and yeah we're starting you know starting a market from scratch is is really sort of interesting so i've done a lot of work fixing businesses that had been launched but starting <laughs> from sort of zero is is awesome because you have to sort of you know you're, you're running through everything setting yeah. up you know space to work making sure the business is all the paperwork's done correctly and then you know finding your first property finding your first hires um figuring out the supply chain who's gonna help you you know do the cleaning and everything else and the market was quite different to, to the US. Hmm. Uh, so that posed some, some of its own sort of challenges and opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I bet. I it, it's it's in many sense like you're you're like the 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 founder, right? Like in the in the early days of a company, the founder spends like most of their time, right? Doing doing all the things that you just said, trying to set things up, like doing all the chores, right? There's no one there's no one to delegate the chores to, right? And so here you <laughs> yeah. are taking uh, a startup that had at least had some success in in the U.S., bringing it to the U.K., but then finding yourself in this position of okay, like I I have to figure out how to how to build this business in in a in a totally different market. I'm curious what what sort of brand presence or perception did Sonder have in in the U.K. at the time? Like were they were they known or or was this were you really no, starting from zero? They had, you know, they had zero. Okay. And, you know, one of the things we we sort of have to explain to them is when we're doing business development deals, it doesn't matter what the company is like in the US. Yeah. Uh, in the UK at the time, it's like, wow, look, this is, you know, the paperwork has barely been filed a, a month or two ago. Uh, you know, bank accounts were still being set up. You're starting from from a fresh. Yeah. So, yes, it helps a little bit to know they, they have some sort of funding, but you know, each country is different. You're still starting from from scratch. Uh, people don't know you, and especially real estate. It's a it's a relationship driven business. Yeah. So uh, you know, they probably do things maybe even slower than in the US. <laughs> uh, uh, back in the back in the UK, especially since we were launching over summer, which is always a bit of a quieter period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, what a what a what a cool experience. Alrighty, folks. Here's the deal. I want to meet you all in person. All right, I, it's just, it's time. Thousands of you stream behind the stage every month and I've only had the privilege of meeting a few of you in person, but we can change all of that in just a few weeks. Sarah and Annette from the Thanks for Visiting podcast are throwing TFECon in Columbus, Ohio from September 24th through September 26th. And they've invited me to come and speak at their event on SEO strategy. It's going to be loads of fun with incredible speakers, awesome workshops, and unforgettable networking parties. You can register for the event at tfvcon.com and use the discount code BTS, BTS as in behind the stays, for $150 off your your ticket. Also, send me a DM on Instagram, on LinkedIn, or on Twitter to let me know if you're coming. 
If enough of you are able to make it, I would love to plan like a happy hour or some sort of behind the stays meetup. So come meet me and some of your other favorite creators and experts in the short-term rental space at TFECon this September, September 24th through 26th. It's a Sunday through a Tuesday. All the details can be found at TFV, TFVCon as in TFV as in thanks for visiting con.com. <laughs> and be sure to use my discount code BTS at checkout for $150 off of your ticket. All right, friends, really, really, really hope to see you all there. All right, back to the show. Was there much competition at the time? Like, was was Saunders sort of new kid on the block, and there were some, you know, Goliaths already present, or or what was Saunders coming kind of coming in for the first time, and their their offering was was quite unique. I think it was probably the first time you had uh, an international company outside of Europe coming in. Okay. There there were quite a few European based um, property managers. I'd say that a lot of them were sort of following more of the Vacasa model of being um, more of a property manager of people's homes rather yeah. than trying to be a branded operator with with their own properties. So yeah. that was the difference. But no, I mean, the the Airbnb market in, in London at the time was fairly well d- d- developed yeah. in, t- in terms of scale uh, to the point that some of the regulations started to come in place uh, just before we launched. So, yeah, it was, you know, it had been popular there uh, as a model. And even before that, um, there was a concept of something called a service department, which in the in the in the US would be called corporate housing. That had also been quite prevalent hmm. uh, in the past. So there's a lot of accommodation available already in the market. Maybe making it a little bit more difficult to to enter. Yeah. Was it was what was it like working for like an American company? Like me, like it, not just an American company, but like a, a a startup, right? Where was that hard? Like as you were going and hiring and recruiting people to come work at Sonder UK in those early days. What was kind of the hustle mindset that, you know, the Bay Area and Silicon Valley is like known for? Was that sort of present in, in the UK as well? Was, was that kind of a hard pitch to folks? Or I'm just curious how that how that translates. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, you know, a slight disconnect uh, in a way when you, um you know, when you're searching for properties and speaking to some of the, the local partners and you say, look, we want to a thousand units within five years, they sort of look at you like a little bit incredulously. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I think, you know, um, you know, Americans definitely, particularly uh, venture backed startups like to to think big, very big. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's a bit of a mindset clash, uh, of course. And the speed of which they want to accomplish things also is very, very, very fast. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dude, I bet. I bet that was a, that was a culture shock for, 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 for some at least. I do, <laughs> you, you mentioned the, the Vacasa model, right, of trying to build sort of a consumer-facing brand while also sort of being this uh, a property manager, uh, or excuse me, Sonder was trying to do that, and which was a little bit different than the Vacasa model. I, I, I'd love your thoughts, right? Because a lot of folks have tried to do this, and it, it's just really freaking hard, right? I mean, I, I've stayed at multiple Sonder properties, I would still refer to them to my friends as like, oh, I stayed in an Airbnb, right? Like, I, I even though I knew the the, the brand and, and and the name Sonder, I still wouldn't call it like a Sonder, right? Um, so, so I'm curious from your perspective, having actually helped launch Sonder in in a strategic market, why why is it so hard to build a consumer facing brand and also be a manager? What what can you do this at the sort of the national slash international level? Like, does it could it work? Because <laughs> it because it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem like it's been able to. There's not one example right where everyone's like, oh, clearly this is the example and this proves that this model works, right? I think that there are there are examples where you're like, hmm, maybe you know maybe this works, but there's not kind of like that flagship example. So why do you why do you think this is? Well, let's look at hotels. Um, Conrad Hilton launched his first hotel in 1919. That's well over 100 years ago. And actually, the year we launched Lodger was the 100 year anniversary of the first Hilton hotel. Really? Congrats. It has That's taken cool. them, you know, well over 100 years to, to reach the kind of market share uh, between the three top brands in the US. So the three top brands now have the majority of the market. I'm not sure what the latest figure is, but it's probably even higher. It's probably, you know, 60, 70% or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you compare that to their worldwide, their market share of the three top brands is less than 10%. So that means they have single digit market share worldwide. Hmm. And the reason for this quite simply is that the market is absolutely massive. The market for hospitality is well over a trillion dollars uh, worldwide. Even here in the US, it's it's a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, 
There's a big market. There yeah. is massive uh, room for growth. And so, you know, part of um, our original hypothesis for, for Lodger is that um, the problems with Airbnb um, back then a few years ago and now still is there's still massive variability in terms of what you're going to get. You don't know, you know, who that individual host is. Hmm. And you're trying to figure out will there be will there be any good you know will they change the sheets is there going to be a creepy host all those kinds of things that actually um, you know the in business I guess it was called you know 100 years ago had the same issues yeah. and so that is you know the, if you look at the hospitality innovators like um, Hilton and Marriott what they did was to industrialize and maybe sometimes industrialize too much uh, uh, the, the the experience yeah and so that's why i think there's there's still going to be a room for this uh people want trusted brands people don't always want to connect with the host uh yeah. you know ask any introvert and that's their nightmare <laughs> having to make small talk with somebody um and so yes i think the market will professionalize and there'll still be room for all these amazing individual hosts and properties yeah um, but the market needs a mix essentially yeah, yeah no I, I i kind of agree more and and i think to to just bring it back to an, an earlier point when when you talk about scale and growth, it's it is really hard to it's just it's just flat out hard to build a consumer facing brand to begin with, right? That is regionally, let alone nationally, let alone internationally, sort of uh, uh, recognizable. And then you're also trying to be this like incredible operator, right? Like you're you're, you're trying to do both, um, and and that it, it, those are those are in, in many contexts like totally separate businesses, right? Um, and and so. I think that that's probably why we haven't seen this like one great example of of how this all works. Um, but I but I'm, I'm with you. There's so much potential. This market is it is just massive. There's so there's so much opportunity, and so I do think we'll see more examples in in sort of the short term rental space that are like akin to the Hiltons, right? Um, Four Seasons. We'll we'll start to see yeah. this emerge as to your point, the industry professionalizes. I do wonder. And I was talking about this um, with with Taylor Jones on my podcast a, a couple of weeks ago, and I've, I've mentioned this a, a couple of times as well. I do wonder what that trade off will be between guests that want to stay with a individual, quote unquote, sort of like individual host or like a mom and pop host versus sort of a, a a manager. And I think that there is those of us who have experienced you know the the vacasas of the world and have been underwhelmed by that experience i think mm. I, I always i always go and look for the individual host now because i've been burned the only bad short term rental experiences i've had were with property managers literally the only bad ones and so it will just be interesting to see how how this all shakes out and what guest preferences actually end up being um, at the mm. end at the end of the day and to again to your earlier point I think it'll be a mixed a, a beautiful sort of like diverse mix of you know desires and wants and expectations and that's what creates sort of a dynamic marketplace so I think I think there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of folks to win of course yeah and it depends on your trip sometimes right what what type of trip is it how important is the accommodation you know yeah. if I'm going to go stay somewhere for one or two nights. And then by myself, it's probably a hotel, but yeah. we're going somewhere for a week with family and grandparents. That's going to be a completely different choice. So even the individual traveler is going to have different preferences based on the trip they're taking. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to hear the the founding story of Lodger. But before, yeah. before we get there, I, I want to hear a little bit more about you. So you had this uh, impressive career. Uh, from from what I can tell from your LinkedIn, kind of working working in corporate jobs, uh, working in banking and finance, and then all of a sudden you sort of like pivot to hospitality. So like, what's what's the story there? Yeah, so I guess there are you know certain things that aren't the link aren't on LinkedIn. Um, so shortly after I was born, my parents decided to set up a, a campground in uh, in France on some family land. So my mother is from uh, Corsica, which is an island of the Mediterranean. My dad's English. And so, yeah, they set up this uh, campground and and these vacation rentals on it. Initially, the vacation rentals were these large uh, tents, huh. basically. Uh, and so, I grew up, uh, you know, on the on the campgrounds, meeting all the customers. And from about the, the summer I turned thirteen up until I finished my undergrad, I was working for them every year. So I started out washing dishes in the kitchen, and you know, by the time I finished, I was sort of. I guess sort of an operations manager, managing the business day to day, doing far more work on the front desk, um, as well as, you know, there was, you know, food and beverage operations, um, 
you know, there's hundreds of guests every day, like pretty, you know, pretty sizable sort of business. Wow. So that was sort of, I guess, hospitality has been in, in my blood. Um, and I love the idea, you know, after spending so many years of having people, seeing people traveling, you know, I wanted to go and travel the world myself. <laughs> I found this cool job where, uh, for a bank where they would send you to different countries, basically, and, and give you accommodation and then move you on to the next job. And they'd tell you, you're going to this country to do this. So for someone who couldn't quite figure out what they wanted to do, but enjoyed traveling, it was, you know, the perfect, perfect. job. perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Wow. So, Tyann, you own and operate 20 vacation rentals under two different brands in Missouri. Yes. Yes, I do. And you're the queen of guest experience at Touchday, which is the leading digital guest guidebook technology worldwide. Yes, I sure am. And you're trusted by thousands of other short-term rental hosts across the world who listen to your podcasts, follow you on social media, and attend your presentations at industry events. Is this correct? It is, and I am honored to be trusted in the industry, yes. So chances are, Tyann, that you you know a thing or two about the different property management software providers in this space. I do, and I love meeting the teams everywhere, um, and I, I know a lot about them, and I'm also very curious and ask questions to learn more because the space is always changing. Yeah, yeah, so I, I am so glad to hear that, and the reason I wanted to have this quick chat with you is because I know that you use Onores for your property management software, and I want to hear a little bit about why you chose Onores and, and why you love Onores over you know the many other options that are available on the market. So we know there's lots of options, but I had to narrow it down to what my top priorities are. So the first one is I've got to have the communications prowess. I am all about communications. I think that is a key factor to reviews and therefore to better revenue serve. And okay. Did you see that again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ask me the last question again. Yeah. So there are so many great options in the space, but I want to know why you chose and, and ultimately why you love Onores over over some of the others. Can you could you give us just a couple of reasons why? Yeah, so I look at all the softwares and they all have really great capabilities, but I needed to narrow it down to what I value the most and what software matched up to that. So the first one is the communications prowess. I am all about communications. It is highly important to me and it has a great effect upon my reviews and therefore my revenue. The second one is excellent customer service. And I have this little trick that I do when I'm searching for uh, for software is that I'll send a customer service request in and see how fast they respond, how well they respond, and if I understand their response as well, because I've got to be able to understand when there's a problem. And then the third one is the comprehensive capabilities. It has to be powerful to do what I need it to do. And I'm gonna add a fourth one. I need constancy and dependability because I'm running some businesses here and I've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? No one has time for software that doesn't work in the way that you expect it to. Diane, who do you think Onores is the best fit for? Like what kind of host or, or property manager do you think align best with the core product offering at Onores? So a lot of folks immediately think how many properties they have, and then they start narrowing it down to what softwares they should look at. But instead, I want you to think a little bit differently. Look at what you value. So Onores is really excellent for host and property managers who value a software that does what it says it does. Hmm. They don't overpromise under deliver. They underpromise and over deliver is what they really do. Um, Onores is also a product that listens to their users and is nimble to adjust on the key needs of its users. So we're throwing out all kinds of things we want and they're really good at focusing to the key needs and doing what their users are wanting. Um, and lastly, it is for users who want and need a powerful engine to run their hospitality business. I love it. And so you were using another PMS before Onores. Was Onores the first PMS you used? Uh, how, how hard was it to either move from your old PMS or, or get set up with Onores? So I'm one of those people who's been in this industry a long time. And the first decade was pen and paper and little pocket calendar books. <laughs> and then after, 
after my very first double booking, uh, one and only because that is something we all go through at some point or the other, uh, I started searching for some software. I used one. Um, I wasn't too thrilled with the, because it was not communications friendly. It was hmm. not dependable. It didn't work. Uh, so I went searching again and that's when I found owner res that was five years ago. So I've been with them quite a while. And then at that time it was a simple export import exercise with a spreadsheet. And the most difficult part was the actual, the core setup of my account. Hmm. Um, definitely a learning curve to it. But that said, it's also a very logical setup that if you take it step by step, you can finish it. Just keep in mind that it's not this super flashy, simple thing because the system is so powerful. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think that that's a really honest review. And from everything I've seen of the actual product, it does seem incredibly logical. For, for our listeners, we've partnered with Onarez to give new customers a 30% discount on their first three months. So when you talk to the team there, just mention behind the stays. If you just go through the checkout process, you can use the discount code BTS30 to get 30% off. But again, you can also just talk to a team member there, say that you heard about them on behind the stays and they will honor this discount. Tyan, any final words of encouragement as to why listeners should go and, and give Onarez a, a closer look? Owner Res is a solid product. It's built by host and property managers themselves, and they understand our needs, working diligently to solve them with continuous updates to the software. I mean, I seriously could not run both my brands with 20 properties and growing with a very small human team, while also giving my time to the industry as a whole as Touchday's queen of guest experience and sharing my knowledge at conferences and events worldwide without Owner Res. Well, folks, don't take it from me. Take it from one of the industry's most influential voices and just go and give Onarez a closer look. Even if you're not in the market right now, you might be in the market later, just go check them out. And you know, if and when you are ready to sign up, be sure to mention behind the stays or use the discount code BTS30 at checkout to get 30% off of your first three months. Tayan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks, Zach. Your, your family then, you guys were like early glampers, like the glamping movement, right? Which is yeah. super trendy now. Right. Uh, you guys were doing that before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say that Europe is probably a few decades ahead of the US in terms of the outdoor markets, mm, um, okay. just because it's been, I think, far more prevalent. And in the old days, it was probably more of a, a, a budget segmentation. If yeah. you didn't have much money, you went camping. If you had a bit more, maybe you went to bed and breakfast. You know, then it was a hotel and then maybe you had a, you rented a private villa. You know, now I think it's it's far more lifestyle based. And one of the things we've sort of noticed is that the the consumer demands inflate every year in terms of the comfort that they expect. So, you know, in the very early days, people would just camp in a tent uh, on a, I don't know, like a really thin mattress, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> half inch uh, yoga mat, essentially. <laughs> and, and now most of my family's business is these sort of, I guess, pre-manufactured tiny homes, you know, one or two bedrooms, wow. as air conditioning. Uh, proper kitchen, right? And even that, some things we were looking at when I was advising them is, you know, do we put in plunge pools or things like that? So, <laughs> you know, the, that comfort keeps increasing. And and I, I left banking briefly, well, for, for a stint in 2013 to help my family restructure their business and grow it. And I just absolutely loved, I guess, that hands-on experience. Hmm. Um, in the banking world, I sort of specialized in improving the businesses, right? Whether it be digitizing uh, the business or improving how they operate. And in a big, large corporate, uh, it can be very frustrating being a entrepreneur. I yeah. kind of joke that it's not so different from being an entrepreneur because you're trying to convince a whole bunch of people to give you some budget to do something. And so the quality of your pitch and, <laughs> and bootstrapping are, are skills actually that you, you can pick up in the corporate world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually think that that's, that's a really great place for more entrepreneurs to start, right? Is like, rather than even when you're super young, even if you think you've got this great idea, I have found that that's how I started myself is like going and working at a, at a company, at a firm where there is kind of space to innovate and create, get paid, right? That's <laughs> a, nice, a salary yeah. <laughs> that you can that you can rely on, right? If, if everything just goes to shit, like it's not the end of the world, right? There's, there's the, the business isn't going to implode, right? Uh, and yet yeah. you can acquire a lot of the same, I think, skill sets and, and, and lessons learned that you need to, to then eventually kind of go off and, and do your own thing. So super cool experience. Yeah, it's funny that you, you talked about uh, glamping sort of uh, and camping really as, as sort of being a, a budget stay initially. I come from a big family. I'm the oldest of six, and my, my family we we always camped. Um, and in, in hindsight, it's because 
of how expensive it would be to travel with with a family uh, of my size. But at the time, mm-hmm. Rady just felt like this crazy, amazing adventure, and we thought we were so cool because we, we we went camping, and we were like, you know, intense on like cult like the the ground. It was like it wouldn't rained like water would just pour through the tent. They were cheap <laughs> tents that my dad had got secondhand, right? But now, right, I see some of these like glamping resorts that they're they're called. You can pay, spend like four hundred and fifty dollars to spend like the night in like a tent, but it's like a know, really right? nice tent. It, and you're like, not even what they see. What? And, what? You know, yeah. I'm a, I'm based in Texas now, and you know, I, I, my wife's taken me camping with the kids and so on. But there's a, there's a lot of nature in Texas. Uh, it can be cold in the winter, pretty hot in 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 very hot in summer. Yeah. Lots of bugs and everything else. So. I sort of like the idea of, you know, sitting outside by a fire, having a having a drink, but then, you know, going back to sleep in somewhere more comfortable with yeah. AC, the <laughs> internet as well. So, so exactly. Yeah. It's I'm just, looking yeah. forward to uh, some glamping resorts kind of opening up in Texas. And, you know, we've worked with a few prospective developers who are looking at, at building some of these things. And, you know, I've said, uh, 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 you know, I'll work for free as long as I don't have to go camping anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, dude, Texas is like popping off in terms of like, I, I I don't know. From my perspective, and I, I I look at I look at a lot of short-term rentals. There seems to be, in terms of like the density of of unique stays, it seems like Texas as a market has has figured figured that out, right? Like I was just in Fredericksburg. Uh, actually, Ben Wolf, who is a friend of of mine, he's been on the podcast a couple times. He has uh, Onera is is his company, and they're they're building like a plethora of unique stays in Fredericksburg and and um, Wimberley. And anyways, but as we were driving out there. I was just shocked at seeing like, oh my gosh, there's like a container home hotel over here and there's like a glamping village over there. And there's like, it was just so cool to see like, you know, hour, hour and a half outside of Austin, there are all these like really cool, unique experiences uh, popping up. Is, why did you choose Texas? Like for, for Lodger, like how, how does that, how, did, you, did you pick the market first and then come up with the idea or what's, what's the story of Lodger? Yeah, no. Um, so I met my my wife at business school uh, back in the UK at Cambridge, and uh, she, you know, brought me back to Texas, so to speak, to <laughs> Houston. So I had a little bit less choice uh, in the market. But um, as I as I moved to Houston, I had to wait a bit for my green card. So I did quite a bit of research uh, into the market. So in particular, I looked at the you know San Antonio, Austin, and um, Houston markets. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what's sort of interesting about Houston is that it has pretty good all year round demand. Um, it's more of a working city in the yeah. sense that people are coming here usually for for a purpose. You know, there is a little bit of sort of wanderlust people wanting to come to Houston to, to see it because it's it's one of the largest cities in the U.S. It's it's fourth and pushing on uh, pushing on third almost. Um, and so there's, you know, a lot of reasons to come to Houston. Uh, incredible food, uh, for example. Um, and even just in terms of moving to Houston, if you want to, as a place to work, uh, there's all kinds of different industries here. Yeah. I think it's always sort of probably kicked a little bit below its weight in terms of the size of, of as a city. And so the Houston market, because real estate rates are still pretty low, the ADRs that you can make are also quite low. But a lot of your operating expenses are going to be quite similar. So uh, buying a sofa is going to cost the same price here as it does in Austin. But in Austin, you might be renting for double the double the rate. So our ADRs, average daily rate, uh, are $100 per night, for example. Uh, so that doesn't leave as much room uh, to maneuver. Yeah. So if you can be profitable in a market like Houston, I think that's a really good basis to then grow to other markets. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting strategy. It's actually a brilliant strategy of, of starting – Starting in a place like that, where you are, where where you can expect, there's there's a lot of traffic, right? There's a lot of people coming to Houston, but your your ADR is is perhaps lower than com- comparable cities, um, and so yeah, if it, if it works there, it, it in in theory, it should work in in several other places as well. What talk to us about Lodger, just so listeners can understand exactly like what who you guys are, what your pitch is, what what value you bring to the industry. Yeah, so when Lodger first launched in 2019, uh, we were focused on being a short-term rental brand. So similar to players like, you know, Sonder, Stay Alfred, Lyric, Domio, who are all in, in the market. Uh, so a mix, I guess, of leisure and, and business travelers. Um, back then, our average length of stay was about three and a half nights. We would turn a unit over, you know, seven times in a month. 
Uh, we, we're doing well, growing fast. Um, and then, you know, COVID hit uh, less than a year <laughs> into, into launching. And so over the first three months of COVID, our business ranked 92%. Wow. Um, so we had to make some super tough decisions. Um, so we still had a few properties running and we sort of noticed actually that people were, were booking them. Um, people were booking them to stay longer. You know, people, they weren't traveling, but they were still moving to cities for work and other things, uh, you know, travel nurses, for example. Um, and so this first few months of recovery, a lot of our business actually was people staying longer. Mm-hmm. And we realized that it's a lot less work if someone stays for, you know, three months. Um, you only have to explain to them once how to how to check in, how to do this. <laughs> Whereas in the past, we would have had 20 times the uh, <laughs> the amount of turnovers. So we started to realize actually that this midterm market was uh, a, a good sort of fit for us. Um, and we started to grow that. So Pre-COVID, about 9% of our bookings were extended stay. And now we're running about 70% of our occupancy is people staying uh, 30 nights or more. Wow, wow. I mean, and this also makes sense given, I mean, there's a there's a thriving medical community in, in Houston, right? Isn't isn't like the largest hospital in the States in Houston or something like that? Or, or there's like more medical research happening there than any other city or there's- Yeah, so actually the biggest industry in Houston is, is uh, medical. It's okay. not yeah. uh, energy, which a lot of people think. So, you know, Houston has a massive medical center and we actually have a lot of our customers are, for example, patients yeah. uh, coming for cancer treatment has probably, you know, the world's best uh, cancer treatment options. You have a lot of, you know, doctors, nurses, of course. Um, and so that brings in a steady flow of people and that's expanding. Um, there's other sectors too, of course, everyone's heard of NASA, um, but we, we host quite a few people linked to the, the space industry from mm. Canada. We have some people coming in from, from Italy uh, later this month. Wow. Uh, and so it's really fascinating when you, you know, one of when you find out why your guests are coming to the city, you discover all these marketing opportunities. Um, and so all these sort of, I guess, niches we wouldn't have been mindful of uh, by learning more about our guests uh, can allow us to target, try and find more customers. Like yeah. Them. Yeah. No. And, and, and in, in an urban context too, like this is a really smart play, right? We, we bring a lot of folks on this podcast who talk about like, you know, unique stays and building these incredible, like one of a kind places out in quite frankly, like the middle of nowhere or two hours from like a a major metropolitan area. And that, you know, that's a really cool strategy and it it works really well for, for some folks. But like, I think there's also this tendency to forget, wait a second, how do you, how do you be different in, in urban context, right? Like, what does that look like? And it sounds like you guys have realized, whoa, hey, there's a lot of people coming to this particular market. Not even, not even that this was intentional at, at the offset, but you've learned people are coming here for, for treatments. They're not going to be staying for a weekend in, in most contexts. Like they'll be here probably at least a week, right? If not more than that, yeah. people want the flexibility to be able to come and go. And they don't really want to have to go find like a place to rent for a month, right? Uh, in a traditional context, they also probably want to be close enough to the hospital but also they, they want to be close to like the amenities that you love about a city. Like you maybe maybe you don't even rent a car while, while you're there and whatnot. So there are all these cool things to, to tease out. And as you're thinking about building your own your own business, right? Like maybe maybe urban is actually a strategy worth pursuing if you can in like like you guys have done, find a, a particular niche, uh, test it out there, see what works, see what doesn't, and then expand accordingly. Yeah, no, I mean, there are opportunities everywhere, right? It just takes, um, you know, having the right kind of insights, learning uh, as you go along, adapting your your hypothesis of what's going to work. Um, and, you know, Urban has has some sort of more unique challenges. You know, we, we work uh, with uh, a, a large apartment community, so typically a Class A community. Okay. These are the large buildings that have maybe, you know, 100 to 400 apartment units. Uh, we like to have as much density as we can. So, you know, in one building we have 39 units. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people who who have tried to, you know, the rental arbitrage model, they'll rent and then sublet yeah. uh, uh, an apartment. And more often than not, they've done this against the terms of their lease. So they're subletting illegally. Um, and one thing I'll say about, you know, about hospitality and 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 airbnb is that it's it's a lot harder than it than it sort of looks there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that you don't realize so one of the, our big pitches uh to the property managers you know we've sort of realized that that um 
they're our first our primary customer and as a partner because we're working with them. We're helping them to achieve something also. They have an asset. Um, they want to make more money from that asset. We find we, we help them find different ways of doing that. Yeah. And you know, so we pit, we talk a lot about uh risk management with them. How do we make sure that we keep your apartment communities uh safe and quiet? Yeah. And so that's a key part of it. Um so if something goes wrong and there's, you know, 300 neighbors, uh, it can have a far wider impact than if it's a home in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's also advantages. We primarily have one bedroom and, and studio units. Okay. Um, people are far less likely to throw a party in one of those than, <laughs> you know, a villa with a pool. So, we, you know, there are also some risks we avoid. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. What I've always wondered, I've actually stayed in a couple. Um, my wife and I lived full-time on Airbnb for like a year and a half, and so like we hopped around to like close awesome. to a, a hundred different places, and it was just really, really, really cool experience. Um, and anyways, what, uh, we stayed in a couple times in um in a in an apartment building we show up right we talk to the concierge we get you know our special keys and it, it was you know a model that's probably similar to lodger it was actually in uh portland uh oregon anyways mm. one of the things that uh was interesting from from our experience right was that it was a super seamless check-in the concierge was super helpful super like you know gave us the, the appropriate key fobs and all that thing showed us the amenities it, that was all great but I felt like the furnishings of the actual uh, apartments felt like total, like incredibly sterile, right? Like it almost, mm -hmm. it almost felt like, oh gosh, okay, they got it. They got a cool building. It's in a great location, and then they just like went super, super cheap on the furnishings, and and it wasn't like it was like super, like cheap. You know, I think we paid like two seventy five, three hundred bucks you know, for a night. Oh, wow. And and so it wasn't like, you know, a $99 stay or anything like that. And, and again, everything about the experience except the actual like unit was, was great. Um, and so mm. I, I'm curious, like, how have you guys thought about furnishing? Cause, and, and the logic, uh, th that I've used to, to, uh, ascertain why this might've been the case is probably because they're not necessarily in the same unit, for long periods of time, right? Like the the uh, the the company behind behind this operation probably had some sort of gig with the actual property manager that said, "Hey, you've got a new uh, uh, apartment that's going to be vacant for three months. Cool, like let's use that." And then they probably quickly furnish that for a three month stint, and then that one becomes unavailable and whatnot. So th that that is a total assumption. I don't actually know how their business works, but like, how how does your business work? Like, are you signing year long leases? Are you signing three month leases? Like, how are, how are you working with your property manager? And then how are you trying to balance like furnishing a place so that it's nice without, well, while also understanding that you need flexibility to quickly move that stuff out, uh, when that, when that lease expires. Yeah. So, uh, um, when we first started out, we were using a, a master lease model, which is you know, rental arbitrage, uh, you're renting the unit and hoping to make more each month. Um, we never quite felt comfortable with that model. It feels a little deceitful, uh, basically renting and flipping, um, the property. Yeah. And then when COVID happened, we, we switched the bulk of our contracts to, to management agreements, okay. uh, where essentially the amount of rent you pay is flexible each month. It depends on the performance and, I think that's great is that you both get a share in the upside. Uh, but if there's a bad month, you don't just suddenly go out of business like so many 
other companies have been out, gone out of business. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really the the dynamic of the relationship changes when you're partners instead of just tenants. Mm. So yeah. our units, um, so some of the traditional corporate housing industry, they will only rent during the time um, that the person is staying there. And that's something, for example, which landing uh, does. You'll read some yeah. of the reviews and they say it wasn't ready. You know, the pictures I saw weren't of the apartment. So we actually want to just leave the furniture in there for as long as possible. And yeah. we still have uh, original units from, you know, 2019. So we, we're not intending to move out of, of a unit. Um, and that makes it a lot easier in terms of how you think about how you sort of set it up. Um, one of the things that I did during my, well, after my time at Sonder is I did some research actually on what is the value of interior design? Hmm. Uh, because it's one of the major expenses if you're on a rental arbitrage model, right? That's what you're using most of your cash for. Um, and so, you know, should you, should you invest more in design? Is that going to make you more money or yeah. not? Um, and what was fascinating is that the, there wasn't really any data out there for it. So we had to create some of that data. Huh. Um, and yeah, so we, I uh, did this research with a few hundred uh, people. We created these mocked up Airbnb type listings and they would go through all these different com combinations, select which one they'd rent and they would churn out a score. Um, and it basically put a, a, a value on interior design. So it's, we were able to say, okay, upgrading from this unit to that unit, people will be prepared to pay this much of an this much more. Wow! And it's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. If there's two, you know, um, rentals, which one are you gonna? Which one would you pay more for? The one that looks really nice, or the the other one? <laughs> and you know, it's obvious, but sometimes the most obvious things, right? There isn't an answer to it. Yeah. Um, and if you think about right that that consumer journey, um, particularly you know, in Airbnbs, there's on Airbnb, there's far more difference in terms of sort of quality of the listings yep and so you're looking at the pictures uh you're looking at the bed and thinking is that going to be comfortable right you're trying looking for for, for clues yeah. you know <laughs> is, is that is that the you know the same airbnb uh, sorry the same ikea bedding that everybody had in college or whatever yeah. right you're, are those pillows going to be fluffy or not um and so by having i think a place that looks good people are sort of inferring uh, things about its quality yeah so that first step is okay um it does the place looks sort of stylish um and that's one of our one of our three sort of design pillars is well firstly it's got to be stylish um then when you come to the place is it comfortable is that bed comfortable uh and then is it practical hmm. so particularly if you're staying a longer amount of time or everything else even little things like is there somewhere to plug in your phone by the bed right yep. so thinking about all those different things and how all three of those go together and then the financial aspect on the other side is well how much have i invested and am i getting an R roi on that and balancing all those together when, you know, the average one bedroom has about 150 purchasing decisions. And so you're trying to figure out Jeez. where do I allocate more budget to? Do I put hundred more dollars into the artwork? Do I put that into the sofa? That's the, that's the bit that's, you know, more sort of alchemy. You're trying to figure it out. And we still don't have probably quite the right formula and it's going to depend on the building and who's going to be using the personas who are going to be using that. Um, but that's part of the challenge that I really sort of enjoy is trying to come up, I guess, with the ideal setup for a unit. I, I love it. And it's so cool that you've actually done research on this and that was, this was part of your like master's thesis, which is just epic. I know that um, you mentioned over email that you had listened to uh, the interview I did with Hans Lorai, but I'm sure Hans right now, if he's listening to this, is like cheering in the background because <laughs> this is what he lives and breathes as well. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this and and remembering vacation rentals when I was young and my parents, when we weren't camping uh, on like the rare occasion when we were teaming up with our cousins or whatever to go in on a vacation rental, we, we really didn't care, My I should say, my parents really didn't care about like the design, the interior design of the space. It was all about location. And then even as we grew up and my parents made a little bit more money and you know their friend, just seeing how their friends travel, right? It was all about location. It was like, okay, how close to the beach is this particular house? And like, that's what we were making decisions based on. That, that was like the primary decision, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, what, what's been really interesting is my friends and, and, and myself and how we travel, it's like, okay, well, if it's a half a mile walk to the beach, like whatever, this place looks so much better than the house that lo you know that's on the actual beach, right? And what, what's so interesting is that 
I, I do feel like there's this generational thing happening. And I, I really do think Instagram uh, it gets a lot of credit for this, right? When you grow up, even though it's a, a digital experience of seeing just really like beautiful things, depending on kind of like who you follow. And, you know, you, you, you see creators like showing off like a town or a city or, or an experience, right? And it just looks absolutely gorgeous, right? And, and, and you think I have to go there. If you've grown up, consuming that content since you were 13 your expectation that you you go on vacation to a beautiful space is is all the greater right and so i think to, to your point it, it makes a ton of sense that like i would say to anyone listening that's designing a place from the ground up or or they're they're a manager and they're, they're going to refresh a place you, you have to invest in in design today like the next generation of travelers like just even even like those that are a little bit more on a budget, like they're gonna pick the place that looks nicer, more so than they're gonna pick the place that's more conveniently located to something. And this isn't true, of course, for everybody. But I I have just found in my very diverse circle of <laughs> friends that like that that is true. Um. So, anyways, it'll be it'll be you know, very interesting to see how all of this plays out. But I think that you're you're betting in the right area. I think the biggest challenge is it's. You know, with interior design, it's very easy to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so the the secret sauce is how do you make it look uh, really expensive and stylish while doing it on a on a budget? And that's the bit I guess we sort of enjoy. And you know, learn quite a bit around, around sourcing furniture and being. You know, sometimes people you know people ask us where, where we get things and we'll, we'll tell them some of it and they can be surprised by the price of it yes yeah. so things like um your supply chain and 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 those skills become really sort of important in making it you know if you can do it on a budget that delivers the maximum sort of value um that's the real sort of skill in it and knowing for example you know sometimes we invest i mean we probably invest a lot more in art than uh, other people would yeah but we've also done other things which you, you know, and interior designers wouldn't. So, you know, one example I like to use is we saw, you know, if you work with an interior designer, they're going to have all these sort of chat skis and books, you know, they're going to want you to spend hundreds of dollars on, on nice coffee table books. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it, it looks nice, right? Um, but what we found is actually guests are moving all this stuff. Yeah. They're not moving in. There's coffee rings and food stains on it. So pretty quickly, uh, we sort of realize, okay, well, you know, maybe they want to use the bedside table. Maybe they want to use the coffee table for their own stuff. So yeah. let's reallocate that budget to, to something else, right? Particularly as we move to longer term stays, we noticed things like the kitchen will get, was getting used a lot more. So we started to invest more, in, you know, in the quality of the pans, the, the additional accessories that people had. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. <laughs> I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, moving, moving like the, the cabin books or whatever that's, that are on the coffee table. I a hundred percent did that all of the time. <laughs> like anytime there was something on the table, it was like, all right, moving this. Cause you have stuff to put out. Right. Um, yeah, that, that is so a, funny. I've never thought about unit, that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so I, I want to ask Seb a couple of final questions just about like your, you know, what you guys are building, what's next, where, where mm -hmm. lodgers going. Um, and then I want to get some, some of your thoughts on, just hot takes you have on, on the future of the industry. But first and foremost, so Lodger right now, what, how many units do you guys have under, under management right now? Uh, so we've got 46 okay. right now. We have, you know, potentially hundreds of units in different levels of discussion. Okay. Um, you know, some of them haven't been built yet. Some of them have been built, but things are just going a little bit slow. Uh, but yeah, we want to grow. Um, our initial focus is going to be on, can we, can we really, get the playbook right in a city so making sure that houston is is working well yeah and then we'll look to to expand to some other markets um probably other cities in texas next yeah uh and then we'll see right what we found is that if you find great partners they're going to be opening locations in different cities yeah. so we want to be able to have a model that we can confidently take to to another city to set up Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three night window in the month becomes available. 
Jen is a returning guest, and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form, and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. Uh, I should have asked this earlier, but as you've thought about your, your marketing strategy, since you are trying to build a, a consumer-facing brand and you're hoping people will come back and, and you know book, book a lodger uh, uh, again, how, how, what is your current sort of like your current makeup of like direct bookings versus like OTAs right now from a from a percentage standpoint? Yeah, so now we um, most of our customers find us online and book. So about fifty five percent are direct bookings. Wow, uh, it's been as high as seventy percent in the past. Um, then we're looking at uh, Airbnb is less than forty percent, and then there's a mix of other channels, um, VRBO, Expedia, Booking dot com. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Hopper, which had a booking come in the other day, um, quite a few then, you know, smaller sort of channels, but there really is sort of a power distribution in there. The big channels like Airbnb, especially in the urban market, Airbnb yeah. is, is king. Yeah. And, you know, the reason why we've pushed direct a lot more is that we found that in midterm rentals, people don't necessarily know where to, where to book this, mm. uh, where to book a place for a month. Yeah. Um, there isn't a dominant platform out there, but if out of all the platforms, the one that does bring in the most midterm business is actually Airbnb. Yeah. There, and it's great for us in a way, because even if a guest does book the first month, um, the fees that Airbnb charge, uh, are massive, you know, it adds hundreds of dollars to the cost, uh, for each month. And when you're staying in it, you know, when you book through a third party, the reason why you're paying them all these fees apart from the conveniences of booking is it's sort of an insurance policy if something goes wrong, yep. right? Yeah. Because uh, booking accommodation is an experiential good, right? You can't get that night back that you've had. Yeah. <laughs> but you usually know within the first 24 hours or so, right, if you want to stay there. Or sometimes, you know, within the first hour, <laughs> whether you, you made the right decision or not. But yeah. the value of that sort of insurance policy kind of declines quite rapidly. Yeah. So if you want to extend for another month or two months or three months, right, why would you keep paying Airbnb a fee or any other OTA, right? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, and what's really interesting too is for, from, you know, you guys have obviously invested, uh, you, you must be ranking well for, you know, midterm rentals or longer term rent leases or short term leases. I don't know what you guys are ranking for organically if you're getting 55% direct bookings, which which is awesome. But but to your point too, that, that kind of, traveler that like midterm traveler they might like self opt out of thinking about an ota right like like i think about like if i were if i were to go look for an extended stay if i knew i was going to go to a place for like a month or more i'd probably not actually start with airbnb i mean i i'm so like vested in this space now so i you know i probably would go check airbnb now but you know a, a year and a half ago a couple years ago like I probably would have thought, oh, well, no, that's just for like weekends or weeks, you know, and uh, definitely not a hotel because hotels are, would, that would be crazy expensive. So I would actually probably start my search organically on Google trying to figure out like, hey, are there businesses that do this? And to your earlier point about professionally managed uh, brands, let alone professionally managed units, if I was booking a longer term stay, I think my my desire to book with somebody that's a quote unquote like professional and a true brand in the space goes way up because that's a long period of time if something does go wrong right like i don't know that i want to trust you know you know pam and and, and jim right uh, i i don't know pam and jim what if what if i hate it after two weeks you know two days will they let me out right whereas you, yeah. where, whereas i feel like knowing that oh no 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 there's a, there's a big company behind this even if it's a smaller company i think that that gives me a level of assurance when I, when it comes to a longer term stay that i don't get with the mom and pop shorter term stay yeah and i think you know part of our thing is we we want to be seen as professional operators, right? We're doing this all day, every day. Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't somebody's home. So you're not going to find their, their possessions in, in the closet and things like that. It's, it's a home that's been set up only for, for, for renters. Um, so I think that 
that, that's part of the play also. It, it always feels a little bit awkward, right, when you rent a, a vacation rental and the, the owner's staff is all, yeah. bit, all inside. <laughs> Pictures of their family are staring at you like, yeah. right? like I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people don't want that. You know, some people love that experience. I, I like to kind of compare it to, to that. If you look at the hotel industry, you've had these small bed and breakfasts for, yeah. for you know, decades, centuries, right? And, you know, that can be a great experience. Like you'll have this communal breakfast table and all these things that, that can be fun. But again, it's not always fun, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there are some fantastic places that will do that. So the individual host isn't going to disappear. That's 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 for sure. And smaller operators. But again, there will be professionalization, particularly when you're looking at larger urban markets where yeah. you have these sort of bigger buildings. Our whole play is let's manage a portion of these in a flexible way. And going into some of your hot takes about the future of hospitality, I think there's going to be far less rigid segmentation between like, oh, we're going to build a building just for these short stays and we're going to build a building for long-term rentals. Well, why not just have two buildings where actually you can vary the amount of inventory? Yeah. Uh, you know, the only question then is, do you furnish it or not furnish it? Yeah. Because once in a uh, build it once an apartment is furnished, it doesn't matter if someone stays two nights or two months or two years, yeah. right? Like it's actually easier if they stay longer. Um, what's always been difficult about midterm rentals is what do you do if you have a gap, you know, two week gap between two bookings? Yeah. So having this model can allow you to flex a little bit more and fill, you know, fill some of the gaps in your calendar. So, so yeah. And, you know, it, to me, it just sort of makes sense intuitively, you know, even when you rent an apartment here in the US, right? You rent it and you can't use it because you need to connect utilities, internet, you need to bring your furniture in. Yep. And that just doesn't make sense to me because when I moved over from London, um, I don't know if you know this, but 82% of property in central London is already fully furnished. Wow. Like huh. it seems so weird to me, <laughs> you know, if you're renting, why would you move your furniture with you? That just seems <laughs> insane. Like we don't do that. There's no U-Haul in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> That's not part of the renter experience. In fact, we, we actually hate moving furniture so much that Let's say you're moving out of the city, out of your, you know, your condo. You bought all your furniture. You're like, okay, I'm just going to rent it fully furnished. That's why it happens because we hate moving furniture so much. Or <laughs> when you sell your property, you'll be like, do you want to buy the furniture with it? And people are like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, that so, that is that is super interesting. I did not know that, and that's that is. I mean, I I don't actually know, but I have to believe that that's that's rarer at least here. Yeah. No, it is, and you know, so I. I've been to a lot of apartment communities and, you know, the, the nice ones will have one or two model apartments set up and yep. they'll be, you know, beautifully set up. And I'll be speaking to the leasing agents and they would say to me, you wouldn't believe how often people ask if they can rent a model unit. Wow. So wow. our kind of thinking is, well, why not have a bunch of model Lodi units, exactly. are, you know, lodger units and you can, you can rent and just live in, live in them. Yeah. Because I think this, this world where people sign 12 month leases, uh, life isn't like that anymore, right? Yeah. People want far more flexibility. So sort of my hot take is, 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 you know, just build the building. It doesn't matter how long people come in. Yeah. And, you know, most hotels barely get to 70% occupancy, but most apartment buildings have much higher occupancy than 90%. So actually if you build more flex buildings, uh, that's going to create more space for people to live in. So I think there's there's something there. Yeah. Um, I think that if you look at at some of the biggest companies of the 21st century, what they're offering is uh, flexibility and convenience. So let's compare watching TV today. Uh, we have Netflix and other streaming services. In the past, we had Blockbuster Video. You know, it was inconvenient. Uh, you know, traditional retail versus Amazon, uh, hailing down taxis in the street versus Uber. Yeah. And now we sort of see it as well we have lodger now for, for living. Hmm. It just makes it easier. So to us, we're more, I see us more as a place where people live rather than just where they go to, to travel. Yeah. The market for people living is much larger than travel. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, lo I love that positioning. It's, it's super helpful. And you know, it's funny, my, my wife and I have talked, we have a, a little kid right now. And so, you know, it's a little hard, but when he gets, when he gets older, you know, we, we would love to live like three months, uh, in four different places, uh, for, for, for like yeah. three months out of the year. Right. Like, and we, we've got the places like picked out and like, we'd love to like, you know, we, we know where we would want to be. Obviously that's crazy, but like on the one hand, it, it's, it's not as crazy when we can both work remotely and, and in total, totally like flexible jobs it, it it's almost like we're kind, we're kind of crazy not to um and you know we, we kids are young and you don't you know you're not stuck to a school schedule exactly, and everything exactly. else no, no, 
I think people are real, realizing they can finally do that. Yeah. Going to work overseas uh, used to be kind of a, of a big deal. I mean, you know, when I first started out in banking, you would get paid a lot more money to go and work overseas, but because it was not seen as desirable. Yeah. And actually, the the number of expats on on special kind of packages became less and less because more and more people just moved to a country for not for free, but sort of like, yeah, I'll go work over there because it'll be a great experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was another reason I sort of left that life is because the opportunities were becoming more limited, yeah. you know, unless you went to the countries which nobody no wanted, wanted to go to, to, go to yeah. <laughs> which, uh, yeah. which I, I, you know, I had a bit of a stint of doing that. So, yeah. So, yeah. Well, Sebastian, this has been this has been awesome, man. I am super pumped by what you guys are building at Lodger. I think it's a super unique model. Um, I you know can't wait till I get to check it out one day. But I uh, am super thankful for your time. I'm thankful for uh, the work that you're doing in the space. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your story with us. If if folks want to connect with you and or just like learn a little bit more about what you're building at Lodger, what's what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I mean, they can take a look at our website, uh, lodger.com. That's L-O-D-G-E-U-R.com. And they can connect with me on LinkedIn also as well. Uh, I'm sure you're probably sharing links and everything. Yep, absolutely. So I'll I'll drop links in the show notes below to your website and to your LinkedIn profile. But um, thank you so much, sir, for your time. It's been a, it's been a privilege. And keep on keeping on. I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys do next. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.